Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Two Red Gringos. It's Phil Bakke. And to the somber sounds of no intro music, I'm joined by Patrick Staley. Pat, you're back in back in CDMX. Uh, you doing all right despite all of this news? Yeah, I'm back. I'm back stateside. Back home now. After. <laughs> I can call it stateside, right? I, can call I mean, it stateside. back home, back home yeah. to to get away from to get away from it all or the mess that uh, <laughs> that on the other side of the border we went through. Yeah, you're uh, it, you're you're free of at least physically free of of a lot of the the nonsense um, being back in Mexico, but. Uh, yeah, it's a it's kind of a weird week for us, given how positive these last uh, I don't know probably six months have been uh, for for us. Uh, not a lot of results like this to talk about, um, both in both in football and politics. So uh, so with that, optimism comes crashing down. Yeah, a lot of the optimism just not not there this week. So now more than ever. We need we need our our poisons our vices to to help us through these moments. Um, so for this for this kind of down episode, what do you have uh, for for your poison? You know, I thought maybe given the mood, I should go to something I don't know, like straight you know bourbon or something like that. But I wanted to avoid anything that had to do with a red state. Just. <sighs> Normally, red is a color we are fully behind as the two red gringos, but True. this it feels like it's coming back to haunt us too. So, in light of that, I'm going uh, Indio with the uh, Barrios de los Muertos in celebration of Dia de los Muertos. Um, exact same, you know, kind of crappy beer, just nice little traditional uh, logo on it. And as the backup, I've got you know one of the heavy hitters, uh, Bohemia, the Pilsner edition. Nice, nice. You got to have a pills on on deck uh, as we you know Teddy. Yeah, exactly. We uh, <laughs> it was pills pills last week uh, at local option. It's pills this week back in Mexico. So it's um, always pills. So I decided to go a little bit on the nose. Uh, I wanted a Texas beer that really spoke to to how I'm feeling, uh, and so I went with Deep Ellum Brewing Companies. Uh, they're in the, in Dallas. Went with their. Dream Crusher Double IPA. <laughs> it no joke has a skull Uncle Sam on the on the can as well. So it's just it is it is Time, on the nose. Very timely. It's it's essentially as if they brewed this for the re-election of Ted Cruz. Um, so <laughs> so that's what I'm rocking tonight. The the Dream Crusher uh, Double IPA. So um, I saw I saw on Twitter that. Uh, you spotted a a collaboration, a, a potential collaboration that you were uh, you were getting excited about in breweries, um, but you may have jumped the gun a little bit. No, I, I mean I I put the tweet out there for both Ode and Indie Brewing to see, so I just assume like Indie Brewing. I was like, should I even look it up? I saw it on Instagram. I ran to Twitter to post like you know the the George Costanza worlds are colliding, uh, you know with my with my indie background and heritage, and then I was I was like okay I'll send the tweet and then I'll look you know and see what indie brewing is really all about. But uh, no, the heartbreak continues. It, it it's just a 
a brewery in Austin. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, no offense, no offense <laughs> to them, but, uh, yeah, that, that was one talking point ruined for me. So yeah. um, I'm going into this with no positives. Yeah. No, you know, thinking that it's the Indianapolis hometown, hometown brewing. And, and here we are, it's El Paso in Austin, which is honestly independent brewing is, is a nice, uh, brewery out there in Austin having, having visited it while I was living out there. But, um, yeah, not quite the connection that it so would have had. The, it's the Phil Bakke connection. Yeah, I not, guess. Not the Patrick. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, so we we have to a lot to talk about in terms of in terms of the Champions League. Obviously, uh, just jumping right into it. Liverpool go to Belgrade and come away with an embarrassing nothing. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's too <laughs> harsh to say an embarrassing two nothing loss uh, to Red Star Belgrade. Uh, the, the first question, and this is, this is one that LFC Twitter is not keen to answer often, but (laughs) should we be freaking out? Uh, is this a cause for concern in the, in the broader sense of the rest of the season? As, As much as I enjoy a good freak out, you know, the answer, the answer is obviously no. And, you know, I have to preface all of this with saying I only watched Maybe about, I don't know, maybe the first 20 minutes of the match due to work commitments, as we do. But I think I'm still qualified to talk, <laughs> to talk on the match, given how it went immediately after I switched it off and Red Star conceded. But, but, but no, like we pointed to our strong start. Now we look at during the, the previous run of games where we encountered some top opposition we struggled rightfully so when you come up against better sides and that once that kind of creeps into lesser opposition then we all start freaking out but it's not like the uh the, the royal rumble gift that was popping up on uh on lsc twitter to describe itself but uh but no <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not freaking out do we need to make changes yes but you know in spite of what lsc twitter as they always do uh no no freakouts needed yeah i think I think the concern isn't so much as far as far as I look at it it's not so much in the broader context of the whole season because I do think obviously we have loads of talent in the squad we have we have a bunch of players who are who are more than equipped to to get us results uh the rest of the season I do think that in terms of the Champions League campaign it is a it is a big cause for concern only because we yeah, had such an opportunity to put ourselves in a strong position to qualify with even a game still to play, uh, which we still can do if we defeat Paris, <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain in Paris. Um, but that's a big ask. And, and I do think that given our form, these last uh, <laughs> Champions League away fixtures i i don't think that it's necessarily a given that we're going to go to paris and and play the way we did at anfield um and we still just about made it out of that game so so that's my one big concern is the idea that we had this chance to pick up six points you know in back-to-back wins against red star and really put ourselves in the driver's seat of the group we got handed a little bit of a gift in the draw between PSG and Napoli, which kept us uh, joint second or joint first in the group, um, yeah. But with Napoli, um, but it does put us in a way tougher position where we could have been 
sitting on eight points right now and just looking at, yeah. at Napoli and PSG fighting it out for, for second place. Yeah, I mean, with the results, the I, I feel like the pressure is a little bit the same where, <laughs> you know, we just we, we still have two chances now. I think if you could just outright say win against Napoli, you're through that that might have been the best scenario but but no giving us two chances and we did look good against PSG right that was the start of this tough schedule that we had and we looked good against them even even if we left it late to pick it up but 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 no yeah I, I agree I was kind of hoping for uh, a PSG win so then all we had to do was take care of business uh, against Napoli at home but again you're putting like all your eggs in one basket which makes it a little bit tougher too right so Speaking of PSG, and it's something we talked about in the last episode when we were talking about Arsenal, uh, we we kind of took for granted our, our midfield's ability to control games. And in this match in particular, we, we had a situation where our midfield was totally overrun uh, at times, and it really felt like we had trouble getting into the, into the game. So what's wrong with the midfield? What's not, <laughs> what's not functioning? Um, with our midfield that's that's leading to some of these performances especially the last two matches. I mean, should we be surprised? I don't want to I don't want to take credit for that that tweet that I had where I was like when Alden and Milner like <laughs> you know, it's great, it feels good that they're on top. I can't remember what pundit was like Milner is is his Premier League player of the year so far. But <laughs> Yes, we need running a lot, we need pressing, we need all that, but we also need midfielders who can create. So should we be surprised if we've got a midfield trio of Ronaldo, Milner, and Lalana that you know, we're not we're not getting too much from it. And and even too, one of the things that <laughs> I, I was just kind of like I didn't even know it was that bad was, you know, our 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 hero who is almost a villain, but he responded to the uh, traditional breakfast uh, earlier today. Uh, <laughs> Sam McGuire <laughs> posts about the chances that we've created from our midfield, and he, like when Alden and Hendo ha- have like maybe created two or three chances from like twenty yards out or something like that. So they're from the six. That's okay. But even Fabinho's chances have been a little bit better or better in vastly <laughs> less minutes. Um, Milner's got a better positioning in terms of his chances, but it just shows us that we need the Coutinho type, the, the, the Oxlade Chamberlain type, or, you know, maybe Shakiri, maybe Kaita, but you know, we, we had a good run of form whenever we switched to a four, two, three, one. So moving back to this in, you know, Simon Brundish calls it just this flat three. If we're not pressing and we're not creating out of that, then there's there's absolutely no hope <laughs> to get something out of it with that midfield. I, I think, and Simon brings it up, just that fourth attacker, and we actually talked about it at the end of last season as well because we changed the dynamic of that because it really is a front four in this Klopp team, whether it is Coutinho as that most advanced of the midfield three you know, in the first half of last season, or whether it's, or whether it's Ox, yeah. uh, at the end of last season, there were always four people involved in the attack. And this season, we talked about, and or even at the end of last season, in the run-in for the really really deep teams, we put Solanke on, 
played the front three behind him, and so our front four was really a striker plus our mm-hmm. front three and adding those different attacking options in uh, rather than three in attack, three in midfield, four in defense, and it very yeah. static uh, in kind of the way that we've started this season. So I think the the swarming and and pressing type of midfield that you saw against against PSG is what Klopp envisioned uh, in terms of being able to completely dominate the game. But in this in this case, you have Red Star flooding the midfield with five midfielders yeah. uh, and really clogging up the center of the park. So the way that to me, the way that you best combat that as as the better team on the field is by creating more dilemmas for the for their defenders yeah. and ma- forcing that midfield to drop to help their their defenders rather than allowing them to clog up midfield you just bypass the midfield um whether it's down the flanks which i think that's the biggest thing that we is e- it's easy to get lost uh, when you when you do have a bad result like this there were multiple times, uh, but down both flanks, where Salah and Mane found found joy. Yeah, and so I think it's something that if you have that more attacking player in the center, uh, whether it was, and I, I really think it should have been Keita. It, I think that's what's. I think that's what Lalana was supposed to be doing. <laughs> I don't think he's capable of it um, anymore. But We're his, depressed uh, enough. We don't have to talk about <laughs> Milana. No. Um, I think that's what he was in there to do and, and wasn't really capable of providing that. But if you give them those that four the four dilemmas to deal with up top and then add in Trent and Robbo creating down the wings, um, you, can really, you can really create space for yourself. And what we saw was basically we created a load of shooting opportunities of very low quality with the exception of about three um, for the entire game. And that's just, yeah. to me, that's just allowing yourself to be, to be outnumbered in two phases of play, essentially uh, yeah. rather than outnumbering, which is essentially what we did all last season, whether it was overloading down one wing or the other uh, or down the middle. Yeah. And it, I mean, that kind of highlights too. We, even what I, what I saw the first start of the game was just, like you said, Red Star completely overing, o- overloading the middle. And I think I made a comment like, you know, how long can they keep this up? And, you know, they, they really didn't have to. You know, you get a couple goals and you sit back. And we didn't have the team in there that, that would create. But we, I mean, again, not to freak out, we had we had the better chances. We missed some early chances. The, you know, we love XG and it was vastly in favor of, uh, of Liverpool. So it's kind of like a throwback to one of those frustrating matches that we've had maybe a couple of years ago. And that, that is in stark contrast to what we've experienced so far too. But, um, but no, that's what we need. We need Kaita's back healthy. We've got that opportunity to plug him in, but we need him to be what Shakiri has been so far in an attacking role in more limited minutes we need him to be not a Wijnaldum 2.0 but what the player that he was in the Bundesliga and so that needs to be something that is just driven into him and tactically focused on as well as is to get back to that point because then we'll start to see 
the attackers, the front three, really start to come to life rather than just kind of putting it all on their shoulders or expecting, you know, Trent or, or Robertson to, to create from, from deep, which, you know, we've got an attacking trio that's like five, eight on average. So that's not going to work for us. <laughs> yeah. So one of the guys in that, in that forward line who was, who was in there from the start, uh, and ended up getting hooked at halftime, uh, along with Trent Alexander Arnold was, was Daniel Sturridge. Um, I don't want to belabor the Trent point because I think it is it is easy to point to the fact that yes he hasn't been up to the standard of last season, uh, but he is also still young. So it's t- it is tough to put that all on Trent uh, on Trent's shoulders. Uh, but when you have a veteran player like Daniel Sturridge who's in there to score goals and it, he misses a sitter in the opening minutes and then just never really recovered from that, it seemed yeah. uh, just kind of affected the rest of his game. Does this speak to a Daniel Sturridge that is actually more spotty for us and is on the decline, or is this just a blip in his in his resurgence that we've kind of seen so far this season? If it was isolated just to Sturridge, then I I think we say that oh maybe it mirrors you know what's happened maybe in the past couple of seasons, but we've seen the same from. Salah, Mane, and and even Firmino too. So it seems, you know, not to put the blame entirely on Adam Lallana. I'm sorry, just the midfield in general. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a reflex to blame Lallana at this point. (laughs) You know, everybody's going to miss some chances, right? Everybody's going to miss some chances. Sturridge has been extremely good and efficient in limited minutes so far, burying ridiculous chances. So... No, you know, we, we give them the pass as we do until it becomes a trend. And then we, we analyze that and see what we need to do to, to, to be different. But I mean, no, uh, again, he's getting in positions to have those chances. So, you know, if you miss one or two, so be it. But I, I think it just keeps going back to the midfield. And, and luckily, if we want to address the, the midfield and maybe the stuttering attack, we do have, you know, about... <laughs> 80 90 million dollars worth of midfielders <laughs> that we've brought in and the potential where we wanted Fakir maybe we know Klopp likes to wait so maybe another one waiting in the wings somewhere so that's another call to we've got the solution within the squad and it, it and it's healthy and now it's the time to to hopefully see that out too but but no like the Chelsea Arsenal some of those matches where where we were arguably outplayed especially specifically in the midfield you can kind of give them a pass but now it now it comes into light um so i'd like to see us go back into that too and it it makes me wonder what (laughs) if city could go back and 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 play that match again at anfield they'd probably just go completely all out attack seeing the the type of form that we've been in but but no (laughs) we've gone through dips before and we'll write the ship yeah i think uh i think one of the one of the things that highlighted the fact that it's obviously not all you know this performance is not all on Sturridge and and him getting him getting hooked I I think was more of a mental thing and it was I think it was mental with with Trent as well um I think it had less to do with with the fact that yes they were performing poorly but we we were watching down at down at Rock and Cigar Bar and it was the the core group of of the Reds uh down there so yeah and we we were all just talking about the fact at halftime you 
Klopp could have substituted anyone, and I'd have, and I'd have been yeah okay, I get yeah. it. You know, <laughs> it, it it really. I mean, aside from maybe Mane and Salah, just because of the threat they carry, um, yeah. he could have substituted any of the eleven, and I would and Allison, I guess is the other one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but outside of that, we it would have made sense, and I think the one the one looking back, the one thing that I that I really see is that shape wise I, I really expect him expected him to change to the four two three one at halftime. Like I really thought yeah. that he would shift to a two man midfield um with either with Milner and Vinaldum uh and bring on uh I thought Bobby was when they said that Bobby was coming on, I thought he was coming on for Lolana and I thought he would push forward with Sturridge. Yeah. Um and turn it into that that four two three one shape, uh, and it just it it didn't happen, obviously. But there was a there's a point in the game where Brian uh, Brian Laz with uh, it's I think it's fourteen Z's um, in his name. I don't know. <laughs> you can you can find him on Twitter somewhere. But but Brian literally yelled out at the screen like I don't even know what formation we're playing at this point. I don't know what shape we're playing in the second half. It, it just became one of those games where. Everyone is so busy trying to get involved in the play that we're yeah. that we weren't really doing anything organized going forward, and I think that's something where last season obviously we kind of thrived on the chaos in transition. Uh, but when you're playing a team two nothing down, Red Star is not going to provide you any of that chaos. They're not going to give you yeah. that space. <laughs> um, they've got the advantage. They can they can close that space down. And really make the game a very you know narrow and make the field very short, um, which is exactly what they did. So I don't think that we can necessarily point to any of the players and say you are the reason. But we, I think we, I think we have to point at the team <laughs> at the team as a whole that when they came out, they weren't they weren't focused. It seemed like they weren't. They didn't have a ton of energy from kickoff. And then when they had that one chance early on to maybe open the game up where if Sturridge scores, yeah. then maybe it, maybe it is a different game. Um, they didn't take it, you know, and that's and that's ultimately the stuff. I mean, it's the Champions League, regardless of the fact that it's Red Star, the margins are fine. And yep. and so you miss that chance and they punish you off a set piece and a, and a long range shot, then... I mean, it is the Champions League after all, so these teams can punish you. <laughs> yeah, and it's I mean, yeah, it it happens. We're again, we're in we're in a better position than we were at this maybe not in the Champions League, but a better position I think overall, um balancing the league and the Champions League with a a, a vastly superior squad too. So, I mean, they happen, Serge buries that shot, maybe we're looking at it's another you know, <laughs> four four nil win, but he didn't, and we we've still got a chance to uh, make sure that we go through. So, um, the one the one player from the front three who has consistently kind of been criticized and and called into question is is Bobby. Um, are you worried about Bobby and his form? We asked Dan this question on the last episode. Uh, you know, and he said, he said, you know, obviously the talent's there, so he's not gonna, he's not worried in so much as he just wants him to get going um, quickly, uh, and doesn't know how long it's gonna yeah. gonna take. 
Well, you know that question is not for me. It's it's for you. Like, are you worried about as <laughs> as Firmino's number one? <laughs> I stand Firmino. We, like, that's it. <laughs> we know, like, we've seen in in Klopp has said numerous times that this these like maybe the the offense drying up or you know the defensive solidity has not been tactical but there's no like there's no way that that's not true because we just we we've, we've seen outright that Firmino has been dropping into a 10 and again Sam Maguire had this great little neon neon graphic that shows that mm-hmm. but even whether it's uh, 11 taking 11 or others i mean he's like flat out in a 10 withdrawn deeper and maybe that's a result of again we'll 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 throw the blame at the midfield um cuz that's easy but I don't know. And, and, and Salah has been in a clear kind of outright striker position, especially when we're in the four, two, three, one. So no, I mean, it's, it, it's obviously tactical. And so I think if we are going to go with that four, three, three, we need to make sure that it's the same type of four, three, three that, that we've had success with and not this, you know, hybrid for Mino that that's having to make up for the, the midfielders lack of work. Absolutely. So I, I mean, th- that's how I feel with that. You know, what has become known as the as the flat three, uh, where you basically have three midfielders playing the same role. Obviously, they're yeah. doing different jobs, but they're they're playing essentially the same role in terms of they're having to cover space out wide. They have to drop deep. They have to press forward. So there there is a lot to do in those roles. But when you play those three players and you don't have that one who is able to, to go forward uh, without having to worry as much about, about tracking back, um, Bobby naturally drops into space. And so those tactically astute players, to me, they always find where they need to be event, you know, in, in terms of their average position and stuff. They're not just going to stand out in space and, and hope that the ball finds them. They're, they're going to seek out that space where they're useful. And so far this season, Firmino has had to do so much of the attacking midfield job um, because, yes, there's good work occurring in in the midfield three, but they're not getting forward. Um, And so this leads me into the the changes needed for Fulham. And I I think the number one is the fact that whether it is, I think it'll be, I think Shakiri will start. Um, but if it's not him, if it's Keita too, whoever is in that most advanced role needs to actually fill that space um, in the attacking midfield. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that will unleash Firmino in a, in a big way because we haven't, like you said, we haven't seen Firmino take up those classic nine positions where we almost we almost got to see Bobby as a number nine last season because he was scoring, he was scoring from headers. He was scoring from tap-ins like, you know, from crosses into the box. Um, and he's just not been in those positions. Uh, they've, he, he obviously allows our wingers to thrive by dropping deep. So he sucks the, Mm-hmm. He sucks the central defenders in so that Monty and Salah can make runs in behind. And that, and that's obviously very valuable. But if he drops so deep into midfield that the center back stopped tracking him, now Sal and Mane are running into yeah. more defenders. So there's no, so there's not that space. 
Um, if he's so deep that he can be tracked by their by their eight, you know, their six or their eight, we've essentially nullified Bobby's impact on the squad. So you have to have that that guy who's operating in that ten area separate from your striker because you need that that um, that person to basically occupy that that six or yep. or whoever is playing in that defensive midfield role role for your opponent. Be, and, and then you also need that attacking midfielder too, that if he's dropping deep, he needs to be able to connect or link up with somebody there that can then create from that exactly in the space that you described. Otherwise it's, you know, he's, he's building it up with Milner or, <clears throat> or Wijnaldum and they're like Milner to a certain level, but Wijnaldum just doesn't create from, from through ball, from passing, right? He, he's played very well in a role, but that's not going to be him. So I, I don't know. I, I, I almost, if I've got to pick between the two, Shakiri and Kaita at this point, I think Shakiri maybe naturally fills that a role maybe similar to Ox, mm-hmm. um, where they work so well as an, as an attacking midfielder, but also like just laterally a, across the pitch um, and being able to create create off that too like even my <laughs> my brother said on the last one right his his little through ball into robertson or whatever yep. to, to break the line that's that's what we haven't seen right. when we've got that flat three so again the pieces are there klopp just needs to put them there and as much as it's on the players klopp needs to look at the tweaks that he's made um or hasn't made in in this case um to 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 set it right so whether it's a whether it's a four three three or a four two three one with you know a ten a more advanced ten and and a midfield two, who are who's that trio that you want to see? Um, whether it's the two holding midfielders and an attacking midfielder, or our two kind of classic or you know a six and eight and a ten kind of kind of combo that we saw last season. I think if it's like let's say a four two three one, I, I would love it to be like a Fabinho and a Kaita, that two midfield, right? But credit to Genie, like I, I do think in that type of, ooh, I want to say double pivot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in that type of role where it where it is, like you're not expecting a balance of attack, but maybe somebody that could push, uh, is a little bit more inclined to push forward, it would be Genie. I think he can play that role. So that's, that's not making wholesale changes. But then obviously Shakiri needs... Shakiri needs to come in as well because the role that he played and the performance that we put up with him, I mean, he just shown in that too. So if it's a three, again, let just wipe out that midfield, go with Fabinho, go with Shakiri, go with Nabby right there, and it's Fulham. Like the it's Fulham. <laughs> like just just I, I mean It's then, Spurs labs. Just, like that's yeah. a, <laughs> <laughs> just just whatever you want to do to just demolish them. That's right. the midfield that I want to see. That's I, I do want to see, uh, I want to see Klopp really go for it because like you said, it is, this is the worst team in the premier league right now. Um, they are a hundred, they are so imbalanced. Um, they're so top heavy. Uh, they have quality midfielders who are all, very much like luxury players. Like Sari is <laughs> Sari is will be great when he moves to a top Premier League team that mm-hmm. has that has that hardworking like grafter yeah. in midfield with him. 
Um, but no one is doing the defensive work on, on Fulham. And I mean, like we talked about last week, Tim Ream has been absolutely exposed at the Premier League <laughs> level. Um, so the 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 dream in midfield is like you said, Shakiri in in a ten, you know, ten ish. Whether it is in a classic ten in a four two three one or in a in that most advanced of the midfield three, um, and then uh, the you know a, a knobby in a box to box just press everywhere win the ball type role and then and Fabinho as the as the more classic six kind of deep lying uh playmaker role that he that he's kind of become accustomed to in the in his good performances um but I do worry that that Klopp will shy away from that just because we haven't seen that pairing since yeah. about preseason I think um so I do, I do think that one of Wijnaldum or Milner will make it back in the team. I, I think it'll be Genie. Um, I just don't know whether that will be at the expense of Fabinho or or Keita. So I, I don't know if he puts Genie in in a more defensive role or in a more progressive role because we've seen we've seen Genie kind of go missing sometimes in the eight. Um, Whereas some of his Not more kind. pronounced kind is performances, kind. <laughs> kind is being kind. Yeah. Like what is Simon called a ghost? Yeah, like just ghost, <laughs> right? <laughs> it uh, they do they do say sometimes that that if you don't notice a, a central midfielder for a game, it can be a good thing. But almost all the time, in in Genie's case, it's not. Um, <laughs> He is very noticeable when he's good, and he's also almost unnoticeable when he's not. Uh, he just has a way of, of disappearing. Um, so it is uh, it is an interesting matchup. I think this this is a godsend um, to Klopp to play Fulham after yeah. a, a run of results like this. Um, and I think, I mean, and obviously you'll agree because – it is Liverpool, but I, I think this needs to be in order to get the squad kind of back in the right headspace for this for this next run of fixtures. I think this just needs to be an absolute slaughter. And it's it, just as you know the difficulties of playing Chelsea, PSG, City, Arsenal can kind of weigh heavily at the end of that when you have to you know travel to Eastern Europe. <laughs> coming back now and having a good run of games in the league can hopefully kind of propel us to get back into that form for those kind of, you know, must, must win champions league matches too. So even the one good thing that we have right now that we're playing Fulham, it's gotta be like a Sunday early game. Like why? Like what? <laughs> just give us, <laughs> why can't that be like a 1030 to, to enjoy it? But no, no you know, it, it's it, a 5 a.m. As long as we get the win. Yeah. <laughs> 5 a.m. for you all. Yeah. 6 a.m. here. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think you will, you will see a resurgence. Um, it is, it is obviously a match that I think, <laughs> At halftime in Belgrade, I'm sure that was not a fun locker room to be in. I'm sure Klopp was just absolutely <laughs> losing his mind, um, and and uh, yeah, it. So I I do hope that he gets a response out of the players. We haven't often seen 
uh, Liverpool lose or or be really disappointing in in back to back performances. Um, so I I do think against this type of opposition, uh, it could be could be a, a nice day for us on Sunday. I just hope that they keep their concentration up and just really focus on on putting Fulham to the sword. It should be a bloodbath. Absolutely. Um and and anything less is is really going to be disappointing. If it if it's a even two nothing, like a clean <laughs> two nothing will be will be a big disappointment. You know I love my two nils. Yeah. Even <laughs> if we get two nil here, I'm, no, I'm going to have a sour taste in my mouth the no, rest of that day. We're talking about like this this is Spartak. This is Maribor. Like, <laughs> I want six. I want seven. Um, Where it is six and seven, you're like, maybe we can get ten. Yeah. Maybe we can get ten. <laughs> now, you know that we're saying this now, and it is going to be like a nervy 2-1 or something like that. <laughs> we uh, we have yeah. had a way of, of playing nervous games against Fulham in, in title contending seasons, uh, especially at Craven Cottage. But but at home, uh, it should be. A, this should be a massacre. So. Um, so it was, it was a day of disappointments, uh, for us as we transition away from Liverpool and, and on to, uh, yesterday was election day in America, Tuesday, November 6th. Um, so we had quite a bit of, obviously elections in America get a lot of attention, but the midterms don't normally get this level of attention. <laughs> yeah. Uh especially locally because the stakes of the races are obviously not quite as high as, as a presidential election, but uh this <laughs> this particular midterm held a very special place for the Gringos at least because one hometown hero Beto O'Rourke was running for state Senate in Texas as a Democrat and actually making it competitive, uh, against all odds against a, uh, a Ted Cruz who ran unopposed for the Senate six years ago. So <laughs> that tells you the, uh, the journey that Texas has been on, but, but Pat being, being kind of a little bit removed from the situation, how, how was election day as an American, you know, living outside of the country? I mean, I, we were we were following along on WhatsApp uh, a, a little bit and tuned into CNN, and you know, I started having like heart murmurs or something when <laughs> when when Beto went up. But <laughs> but no, it's been you know, I used to follow politics fairly closely. Um, kind of got burnt out on it, you know. Just saw the the, the tireless like fighting and getting nowhere. Um, but, you know, you always kind of get sucked back in. But after the last election, it's, you know, you you do lose a little bit of faith, not just in the country, but when you see it reflecting in people that you know, people that you work with, um, where there's this there's this clear divide. And it's it's not just Democrat, Republican. It's not even necessarily progressive or moderate, but it's just it's almost just blatantly right and wrong. And you see people that are on are on far one side and are going along with it because that's the type of people that they are. But it's also this this group of, you know, I, I kind of said it, you know, what's it like living in Texas? But I, I still have close ties with all those people. And it's, you know, these people that you know and that are okay with all of that. 
you know they're they're okay with this just flat out evil approach (laughs) (laughs) and and i don't even think that's that's exaggerating you know just if, if anybody's been following along at all and so it's been nice leading up to the event to be removed from all of that, you know, because we don't have that. If I look at what's trending here in Mexico, it's, you know, Feliz Lunes. Like every single day, the top trending thing is like happy whatever day it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. Um, some of the things make it through, like Trump's reaction to the the CNN reporter today. But, but it's blissful to be removed from that. Um, but I was sucked back in. Um, and I don't know, like the, the election went – kind of exactly as as it should have there were certain hopes kind of propped up and even for beto as much as i loved him supported him (laughs) did everything i could via fedex to vote for him um (laughs) a lot of overnight shipping um but (laughs) but uh, at some point i was just you know he he doesn't have a chance it's texas and there's just and, and we saw it unfold on election night there's just too many too many of those small counties that are, are still pretty well populated right. um, that are just diehard Republican. You know the agenda. You said it as well as anybody. Um, and so I didn't really have any hope until those initial results came in and just showed them up even with El Paso not in, Houston in. So that that was the heartbreaking piece about it was going from, you know, there's no chance in hell that Beto's going to win. Even with the fundraising, even with the support on a national scale to, you know, it kind of being slowly pried away as all those smaller counties came in. It, uh, it, it is something that – and it's something that's always – I mean I can, I can confidently say always been the case in terms of since I've followed elections. The, there's always been a clear divide between, between the cities and, and the rural areas and the, and the suburban counties as well. Um, it is fascinating that Texas has kind of gone this way because Texas is, you know, obviously since I've been growing up and I've, I've only been living in Texas, you know, more or less the last seven going on seven years. Um, but it was news to me that there were any Democrats in Texas coming from Illinois, you know, a very confidently blue state, (laughs) Um, it, I, I figured there wasn't a single Democrat in the whole state. <laughs> and when you see these different cities and you see the, the, um, really the, the identity of, of the big cities in, in Texas, it really changes your perception once you actually have gone, you know, and visited these, these cities like Houston and Dallas, yeah. San Antonio, Austin, especially, and then, and then El Paso. Um, but it, it's something that, I never would have envisioned a a progressive Democrat running <laughs> running for Senate and standing any type <laughs> of chance. Um, but I think it just I think it does it Beto Beto's overall approach, I think, just gave a lot of people reinvigorated them into politics because twenty sixteen I think embittered a lot of people um and made them think that okay, this is a ruthless kind of game and it doesn't matter, you know, you can lie, cheat and steal and it doesn't, it, it doesn't change anything. People are going to vote, you know, the way that they're, that they're conditioned to. And I think Beto at least gave people faith in the process again. 
uh, even if the outcome yeah. wasn't exactly wasn't exactly what we thought it was going to be or, or thought that it could be. Uh, not that we thought it was going to be a better win, but we thought we had the slightest chance of uh, of someone kind of not only changing um, the outcome in Texas or the assumed outcome in Texas, but changing the way that people campaign and the way that people conduct business because it yep. wasn't an attack heavy campaign. It wasn't, he wasn't, you know, slamming crews at every, at every corner. He wasn't, um, he wasn't taking uh corporate pack money, which was also refreshing. Um, but all of that stuff with it ending in a loss, it does lead a little bit back to the, to the, to the bitterness because you can look at, at what, Ultimately, and and this is something that talking to so being in the army, talking to my coworkers, largely conservative, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I I asked today. I had like I had to I had to know like okay because uh, one of one of the guys in the office showed like a, a meme like making fun of Beto from Facebook, um, making fun of Beto for losing. And so I was like, I was like, oh, okay. So like, I was like, you know, you, you guys are happy like Ted won. Um, they were like, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, just purely out of curiosity. Cause if you start a fight, like there's no conversation to be had, right? Like there's no, yeah. like yeah. if you say, well, I voted for better, then it's just like, okay, well, like you're wrong. Uh, there is no, there's no common <laughs> ground here. Uh, because you can be one or the other. So, um, cause this is America. So, so I had to know just like, why, why are you happy that Ted Cruz won? And, uh, the first thing out of the guy's mouth is like, he's, he's a, he's a constitutional genius, which reminded me of stable, <laughs> ge- which reminded me of stable genius. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? And he's like, well, yeah. he supports the constitution. I was like, I was like, so, yo, what about it? Does he support? And he was like, well. <laughs> at, at genius level. Right. At genius like, level. He's yeah. like, well, the Second Amendment. And so that, that drove a further conversation about, about gun rights and stuff like that. But that tells you that, I mean, there are a lot of folks that literally vote. And we talked about this on the WhatsApp yesterday. There are, vo- yeah. there are folks who vote on one issue and vote on one. You know, it's just it's a non-starter if a person is even because they were because they said, you know, Beto wants to take all our guns. I was like, that's not true. Like, like, what is his? Yeah. You know, what does he actually want? He's like, well, he wants to ban AR-15s. I was like, is that a bad thing? And they're like, yeah. It's like, OK, well, then, I mean, there's no there's no way that Beto's getting their vote from that position, you know, and it's yeah. just crazy um, because there's no there's not really any thought put into any. Once you get to that person's first issue, whether it's, you know, Second Amendment rights or immigration or um, anything that they perceive as as socialism, <laughs> like, you know, things like universal health care and like infrastructure, um, that is that is as far as I go. There is there is no convincing someone uh, beyond that. And so I think it is. It is a sign of progress, but it just shows that there there's a long way to go um, to get people to think beyond, you know, just their very narrow focus um, and kind of one issue voting yeah. 
And that's, I mean, that, that's millions of people across the country. Well, I, I think it's important for people to, because there is even, and, and I think even global politics now has, has kind of skewed this a little bit, where <laughs> when we prop up somebody like Beto or Elam or other politicians that talk about, you know, just this notion of, of healthcare, it's labeled as socialism or all that. Like that's, <laughs> that's not even like a talking point. In, in other places, it's just the norm as it should be. So that's what I find a little bit bizarre about the the current labeling of progressives or, or moderate and all that. And on on both sides, I get angry about it because there's even uh, on the left, which which I which I am, there's this further left group that says, well, we're not going to vote for Hillary or we're not going to vote for not necessarily Beto because apparently he said something that resonated with them. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to vote for them be, because they're not as progressive enough. Right. <laughs> and the problem is, is that when you have those one issue voters and a lot of it is, you know, people will love Trump. So many of them for one simple reason is because he'll put somebody in the Supreme Court that will get rid of Roe versus Wade and you get rid right. of abortion. It does. <laughs> he could he could slaughter. He could slaughter just in murder people on the street, yeah. they will still support him because right. he will get rid of that. And that is <laughs> for a number of, <laughs> we won't get into that, but that, that is their issue and they mm-hmm. will get out and vote for that every single time. So it gets to this. And this is why I found that we, we had talked about it too, this notion that there wasn't this wave or tsunami or any bullshit term that they're using. Right. There was clear progressive support because those are on the left the issues that get people out, healthcare, or let, let's let's say it selfishly. Like, I'm I'm not going to agree with somebody that wants to vote for somebody so that they can keep their their AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Right. But selfishly, I would like a more left-leaning candidate that might get rid of or reduce student loans. Right. That might do X, Y, or Z for me. And so that, those are kind of clear policy issues. And that's, that's what's resonating with people and why we did see people come in, like we saw, you know, waves of minorities, women, different, you know, types of people getting into office that we just haven't seen before. So there was, there was progress, but there's still this lingering notion that (laughs) as we make this progress, like we did with electing a black man president yeah. <laughs> that is going to further enrage the the masses to to be more entrenched in their beliefs so right i don't know you have to even if it creates more of a divide the the moderate isn't the answer because there's no message that's getting people out to vote and and, and as much as i kind of hate that <laughs> that that's the reality the way uh i think the way that we have to look at it obviously People talk about the polarization of American politics, um, you know, pretty frequently now. But when you have a polar system, you have two opposite (laughs) ends of the spectrum, and those are essentially the choices that people have to make. Then, yes, like politics will be polarizing because there's literally two choices. Yeah. and and the longer that we that we kind of persist with the two party system, it, uh, it's it is 
exactly it's going to produce what we've seen over the course of time. People are going to drift further and further apart to differentiate themselves from their opponents. And so they're going to become more and more extreme in the, in their views. Now, I think we've seen, (laughs) and part of the reason that even though I grew up in a, in a conservative household and, and grew up with, you know, a pretty narrow kind of view of things. um, So I, by the time I graduated high school, you know, and was able to vote. I was a conservative because that's what my parents produced. I drifted yeah. <laughs> left, but I wouldn't say that I drifted that far left to meet where the Democrats are now based on how far right the conser- you know, the Republicans have gone. So that's really, I think, w- yeah. what we're seeing now is essentially like just a, an extreme polarization of one party so far to the right that we're that now, even if yeah. the Democrats stay center <laughs> and center left, they look extremely liberal by comparison. And it's so, especially if we have any viewers in the UK, like they, this divide now is is not necessarily policy based, right? Before, as you mentioned, it's city versus rural. And there's a clear difference between what a liberal is and what a conservative is, and it makes sense, right? If I live out in the country, I want government to be hands-off. I want to keep my guns. I, I, I want X, Y, and Z. If I live in the city, I need a stronger government presence. <laughs> I want services, but I, I need roads. I need schools. I need hospitals. I need health care. And so there is always a clear divide. And so – I mean, as long as I can remember now, it's just drifting based on issues like race and immigration, which which is now maybe a little bit more common globally um, with what's happening. But these are the things that are that are kind of dividing that. Right. Like, I don't know how, but and and how's you touch mentioned this, like per, like progressive <laughs> yeah. policies that passed in waves right. like legalization of marijuana is a progressive policy. Sure. Giving black men the ability to vote is not progressive. <laughs> like, I mean, it's progressive in the sense it's progressive, right? Like relative to not having the right to vote. It is progressive, but exactly. But it's not that, that and those are having like nothing to do with what we typically should think of when we think liberal or conservatives. It, it's just, it's just so skewed now by by these extreme reactions and you have to be honest in pointing out in that one side clearly <laughs> here are the extremes right one side running you know racist ads about a group of immigrants hundreds of miles away and one side saying we want to give everybody health care like that <laughs> right <laughs> like the, the seesaw is not a normal balance right in terms of right and wrong so it's it, it's it's scary, but I'm also I, I still cling to this notion that the the more progress we make, the louder that and, and the more dangerous that other side is going to get. And maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this it, it's almost like their last kind of hurrah, right? You know, where where we slowly and it'll take generations, but slowly kind of weed that out to get to a better place. Absolutely. If we still have, you know, 
the world by then. Right. Since hadn't <laughs> risen and destroyed us all. The, uh, the interesting thing about, about the ballot measures, like you talked about in progressive ballot measures is, is one of the, one of the craziest ones that I saw is, is Missouri voted to legalize marijuana and elected an ultra Republican Senator. So the same state <laughs> voted for, and it, and it is interesting because we, we had a, I had a small, like little battle with this guy with like 20 followers who, um, which is something you never want to get into. Um, but he, he made the claim because I, I had said that we, we have rural Texans essentially voting themselves out of, you know, improved infrastructure because as much as Republican yep. senators and, and congressmen have touted that they will invest in infrastructure, they haven't. Um, and better healthcare, better, uh, better education systems, all that stuff. They've, they've essentially voted themselves out of that by voting Republican. Uh, and he said, well, you know, people shouldn't be voting along their selfish interests. And I was like, but they should be voting for their community's interests and especially when the opponent to that platform is essentially running on, you know, what Ted Cruz ran on, which is a, a, a fear of immigration, um, yep. where a third of voters in Texas said immigration was their number one issue, and three quarters of those people voted for Cruz, which means that they were essentially saying any immigration or asylum, <laughs> seeking asylum is is bad. Um <laughs> And then, uh, and Second Amendment rights and and energy deregulation in terms of allowing companies to to frack in Texas, uh, which is proven to be <laughs> stupid, harmful for the environment, etc. <laughs> um, the uh, so the bottom line is that you have a you have a party that's touting things that are positive for the state, and another one that is touting things that are actively negative, and it's just <laughs> it's hard <laughs> as a person yeah. who who you know was. At one point in my life, I was, I, I would have considered myself a conservative, uh, and I yeah. just I look at I look at what Republicans tout these days, and it's just, you know, if you look away from the issues of my parents, which are like abortion and guns, and you look at anything else in terms of like providing services or <laughs> like doing the job of the government, it's just not it's just not there, and that <laughs> and that's what's frustrating. Um, yeah, but the one and I, I'd like I do I would like to end this on a positive note. Um, so out in out in New York, uh, out on Staten Island, um, my very good friend Max Rose um, was running for was running for Congress, and and Staten Island is a the one borough of New York that is Republican, and. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was running against a Republican incumbent named Dan Donovan. Uh, so I, I met Max in the Army, and I served with him uh, in Afghanistan, and then uh, and and he lived in El Paso uh, during that time um, when he was stationed at, at First Armored Division. Uh, and then he got out of the Army, went back to New York, and, and ended up working a couple of jobs before he he made his run for, for Congress. But he, he ran... Um, it was not a surprise. Like he's not, he's one of those guys where it very much is not surprising that he pursued politics. He's just, he's one of those guys who's like the smartest man in the room. Um, and he just, yeah. 
he uh, he had a lot of big ideas and 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 uh, I think it took less time than we all thought <laughs> in our group uh, for him to run for <laughs> national office um, and and run for the House of Representatives. I figured he'd start a little smaller, but um, <laughs> but here we are. Um, and so last night he overturned what was a, a Republican district uh, into um, into Democrat, basically running on a a platform of local issues. Um, so he he mainly talked about like addressing opioids, which Staten Island has a huge amount of overdose deaths every year. So that was one of yeah. his big one of his big ticket issues, and then <laughs> infrastructure. Uh, in terms of reducing commute times from Staten Island to Manhattan, um, which is a huge a huge issue among among Staten Islanders, and then um, essentially the idea that uh, he is not necessarily partisan as much as he doesn't believe anyone in Washington is doing a good job. Um, so, <laughs> so he was, he was basically critical. Of threat. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he took it, took it all the way through and he was actually able to, to flip the district and, uh, by about five percentage points. Um, and it was a district that went, um, I believe 16 points, uh, Trump over Hillary in, in the presidential election two years ago. So, um, big accomplishment for Max, and I'm I'm really happy for him. I'm proud proud of him, and I and I'm glad to see people like him becoming congressmen. Only because they are they they're real human beings. <laughs> they're not these like plastic millionaires. The you know <laughs> the Chelseas yeah. and the Manchester Cities Manning are <laughs> Manning are are uh, congressional districts. They're like real flesh and blood humans who, <laughs> who, uh, you know, are, are not, uh, I don't know, immune to basically Ted Cruz. Oh, the last thing I'll say about Ted Cruz is the fact that, uh, <laughs> mutants, mutants United scoring and like beating Juventus on an own goal today was literally Ted Cruz beating O'Rourke. Like that was <laughs> like him beating Beto was, that was, <laughs> The Red Devils topping <laughs> topping Juventus like on an own goal, just like ninetieth minute, barely barely eking it out. That was Ted Cruz, but um, but there is there is a ray of sunshine. There there are um, there are districts where uh, just good people are are winning office, and that's that's actually a, a cause for celebration. Yeah, and and good people challenging kind of that status quo overall and even if they didn't pull off like miracle upsets still kind of laid a laid a game plan for for exactly the type of people that you just described yeah and i think that was what was was promising about beto as well is in that we all kind of saw him as as just a real human being you know he played in a band in high school he skate he skateboards <laughs> Uh, that type Loves of Whataburger. Yeah, exactly. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not this robot that the, that the system kind of crapped out, um, for, for a race. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I obviously but it's, it's also like cool for like goofy white guys like us that, <laughs> that are in these communities to say like, you know, you can, like, you can be a voice, you can represent people. I mean, you know, like, 
Beto O'Rourke coming out of El Paso is, is not the name that you always assume. So it's, it, 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 it was, and that's why I, on my normal now generic Twitter account made it just a super positive Beto statement because it was, I mean, it was such a positive, I'm not even going to say that, that progressive of a message, but just, it was a message that people wanted, wanted to hear. And, 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 and that's what people need moving forward. Well, I think uh, we can all look forward to. I I I just kind of advocated for the idea of El Paso kind of breaking away and making its own thing. I'm I'm looking at <laughs> Beto Khalid twenty twenty twenty, the president and vice president of Chuco Town, <laughs> USA. That's uh, that's. It makes uh, for a hell of an album cover. <laughs> No, so uh, it, I think that's that's kind of the one cool takeaways too from from this past year has just been the the rise of El Paso into the national kind of consciousness uh, between between Khalid and uh, and Beto Khalid even recently releasing the uh, Sun City album, um, which is the front cover is him sitting on a curb outside his house. And now everyone and their mom <laughs> wants to recreate that picture. Yeah. So it's like the Breaking Bad house in Albuquerque. Like everyone's got to drive up there and try to try to find Khalid's house in uh, East El Paso. I mean, I think you you and Erica need to do that so that we have like get get a little traction on the uh, on the two rag Ringos account by posting that posting that photo. <laughs> that could be uh, the co- <laughs> the. Uh, the image for for one of our one of our episodes, just <laughs> me sitting down. Um, but no, it, it the nice thing about last night is that while there were some some negatives, it's not all doom and gloom, and and it did raise us up a little bit <laughs> from the defeat in Belgrade, uh, which which was so so deflating at the time. Um, but as we look ahead to this weekend, we've got Fulham. We've got we've got chances to immediately rectify the situation, and we've got I likely Adam Lallana out of the squad. <laughs> is he injured, or is he just? Are you saying he's done? Oh like, yeah, no, it, I'm just right? saying like his time is up. You know, I think so, and that's almost consensus <laughs> on Twitter now, which is rare. So if anything, yeah, we've got you know we've got Beto in the national spotlight. We got EP in the national spotlight, and we've got Fulham on Sunday, even though it's 6 a.m. So in both fronts, politics and football, we've got some pot. (laughs) We got a dark time that we've just settled on, and we've got some things to look forward to, but still a little work to be done. Yeah, there's always plenty of work to be done. Um, That is is just the way that it is with Liverpool. You're never going to be... Resting easy, so we've got a couple of big matchups coming up. Uh, but always, always looking, <laughs> looking to the bright side or, or attempting to. I think Klopp gets the reaction that he's looking for out of these players. So uh, we shall see. Um, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Khalid close this one out. Now that I think about it, and just end on a positive El Paso note. Why did I think that Randy Newman and not Monty Python saying always look at the bright side of life? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get out of this Randy Newman. Place. Yeah, you're you're really stuck in a Randy Newman loop, but uh 
yeah, as we as we close things out, uh, if you if you like the episode, obviously make sure to check out at Two Red Gringos. That's our Twitter. Two Red has all our episodes. We're on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, we're we're basically all over the place. So um, if you're looking for Two Red Gringos, oh Instagram too. Yeah, check us out. Uh, we've got a bunch of random stuff all over the place. So um, you can find all the past episodes on iTunes, which I dug in the, I dug in the archives a little bit, found our, found our pumpkin beer debate. There's a lot of good stuff back there. Um, sound quality, sound quality, not quite at the level, but, uh, <laughs> but there's like a, a pilot episode. Yeah, exactly. Like if you can look past the imperfections, there's some, there's some real good content. So, um, yeah, please check us out. Um, if you have liked it, but other than that, that's pretty much all we've got from the two red gringos. And uh, without further ado, I guess uh, this is adios. Two red gringos, we're in everything. <laughs> all right, for the meantime, if I have the way, I'll be patient, babe. Coming over tonight. Whoa, so I hold thoughts in. Don't let the city break your Conmigo no tienes que hablar Llévame esos tatis Llévame, llévame Tú no te llévame Corazón Llévame, llévame Llévame Solo esos tatis Llévame, llévame Tú no te llévame Dude, that is Khalid singing in Spanish, like Sun Sun City. Don't let don't let it break your heart. It's too perfect for El Paso. It really is. I mean, you feel I like there's know. some belief there in his Spanish speaking ability, as opposed to like Bieber or Drake. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a half-ass approach to the. Yeah, dude. I had I had people. I had to I had to smack people down at work today because <laughs> I had I, I had someone dude I had I had them be like cuz so I mean we had a whole conversation about the fact that cuz straight up in the army like <laughs> we have M4s which are AR15s like right like that's our yeah that's our primary weapon but when we're done with like training or a range or something like that like first off, when we're training with live ammunition, you we store the weapons and the ammunition like in different places and in different agencies. So like I don't have the ammunition for the weapons. I have to take the weapons out, go to the range, and then someone else from like a separate thing drops the ammo off for us to shoot. So it's not it's not like I just have access to it. And I'm the army. Like <laughs> Like we're the ones who are trusted to do this shit. So like, so when you're coming for everybody's guns, you're saying that they have a chance. <laughs> but that's what I mean is like, I I can't. I can go to Walmart and buy an AR-15 and like all kinds of ammo for it. But in the army, I have to turn all the ammunition in and then turn my weapon in to a secure room that is under <laughs> double lock and key. And like a giant combo that like can't be broken into, um, and it's just crazy to me. And so I, I brought that up, but but I brought up the fact that they were like, plus he calls himself Beto. He's trying to be someone he's not. 
I was like, you mean Rafael Cruz? It was was really being genuine. Canadian There's Canadian no, Texan like, who changed his name. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Like anybody but Ted Cruz. Anybody but Ted Cruz. Like Ted Cruz is the least likable guy. Maybe maybe in the world. So there's like my top I think I got a top four. So there's that is it Ben Frost? Ben Fr- who's the weird like pro rail dude oh, that's ben like Fast. pro Trump? Yeah, he he fucking sucks. Ben Fast, yeah. He fucking sucks. He's on like my top four list right now of if I could punch anybody in the face. Yeah. He also the has second, a very punchable is, face. Well that that's that's the key, right? Like <laughs> there like there's some awful people in the world that probably deserve it more. We have to have a punchable face. So right. he's got a punchable face. Yeah. That other little Weasel Trump guy that tried to set up Mueller with the, the fake accusations oh, uh, or whatever. Jacob Wall or Wool or Yes. Yeah. Wool. Yes. He probably has the <laughs> most punchable face. Yeah. He's I just don't encounter him as much on my Twitter timeline. No, me neither. Uh three three would be Sergio Ramos. Just oh, man. And especially after today. Obviously. Just more shady. Oh, and it's yeah. hilarious. So, like, is there intent in that? Yeah. <laughs> Do you fucking think? <laughs> it, it just, life goes on. Life goes on with Sergio Ramos. Like, he's literally just <laughs> giving people concussions, broken noses. Yep. Anyway, so Ramos is perpetually on that list. And, and now that I thought about it, like, Ted Cruz is probably the most punchable person on earth. Just given his face his demeanor, what he stands for, and nobody likes him. I think right. even people that voted for Ted Cruz probably want to punch him in the face. <laughs> so the, that rounds out my top four. One of the best tweets to come out of the election yesterday, out of El Paso, <laughs> was because it's an intersection with a vine, and I am so... <laughs> I'm so deep. We need to bring back the vine. Yeah, <laughs> no, vine being dead is just it, it's a it's a cause of constant concern. Like I am the I literally watch vine compilations on YouTube like from time to time. <laughs> like that happens, and Did it's that not as to the gif, huh? Vine disappearing is that what's given rise to like the Twitter like the gif I, keyboards and all that? I think, but I think even beyond that, it's just taken away from the. Like, there were so many hilarious, like, small jokes that you could make on Vine, and there's just not a platform for that. But the but the one, I don't know if you remember, but the older teacher, they're like, fuck. They're like, they're like what did you say? He's like, whoever threw that paper, your mom's a hoe. And that's <laughs> And so, and so there was a tweet yesterday that was like the thirty four thousand people in El Paso that voted for Ted Cruz. Your mom's a hoe. <laughs> that was one of my favorite ones, and I saw, I think that made its way around El Paso, El Paso Twitter. Yeah, it sure did. Um, no, there, and and that's the thing. Like, like you don't want to lose the election at the expense of good memes, but you know that's. If that's all you have to take solace in, then you you gotta you gotta just look you for the good tweets and the fire memes. <laughs> yeah, like that's. I mean, if you're not gonna win, you know, that's that's what you gotta go for a second. 
<laughs> so, oh man. All right, I gotta bounce. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I don't know. Fingers crossed for this weekend. So, we'll see. <laughs> yep, we'll see. All right, dude. <laughs> All right, see you, man. See you.